This is the podcast for the journal Genetics and Medicine, published by The Nature Publishing Group. It's the official peer-reviewed journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics. I'm Cynthia Graber. Newborn screening is generally seen as a success in public health. The test started to take off in the 1960s after a researcher named Robert Guthrie developed a test for a disease called PKU. Robert Steiner is professor of pediatrics at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. He's also the deputy editor and biochemical editor for the journal Genetics and Medicine. Before there was newborn screening for PKU, there were no real specific symptoms that these children exhibited. So they would develop um, severe or profound intellectual disability before they were diagnosed with PKU. Guthrie's test um, changed all that. And since that time, newborn screening has been expanded to include many other disorders. Most state screening covers about 29 recommended diseases. Other tests have been developed, but not necessarily implemented. The question of whether or not to implement a newborn screening test can be challenging, says Steiner. I think one of the most important is, you know, is this a, an important disorder that causes a disease? So we wouldn't want to screen for conditions uh, that don't really cause a lot of problems. Second, if you can diagnose the condition without screening early on, if it's blatantly obvious, then there's no need for newborn screening. Um, There has to be a test available. You wouldn't uh, be able to do newborn screening unless someone had developed a way to diagnose that condition after newborn screening. The condition has to have a reasonable uh, incidence in order to be included in newborn screening. In other words, if, if a disorder was only seen in 1 in 10 million births, it probably wouldn't make sense to screen for it. And then one of the perhaps more controversial criterion uh, is whether the condition is treatable or not. I think a a number of leaders in the newborn screening field still feel that in order for a, a test to be included or a disorder to be included in newborn screening, the disease in question has to be treatable. The reason this last point, whether the disease is treatable, is controversial is in part because parents may want to know if other future children of theirs may also inherit a genetic disease. So parents may believe a condition should be included in screening even if untreatable, because identifying an affected child with a genetic disease could help with reproductive decisions. But there's another important question, whether screening could end up doing more harm than good. All these questions have come into play in newborn screening that was implemented in New York State. The particular disease in question is called Crabbe disease. David Dimick is Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Wisconsin. So Crabbe disease is a progressive um, neurological disorder. Um, it is heartbreaking to watch children with this disorder. Many of the children appear relatively normal at birth, um, and over time parents or family members will realize that something's not right. The children will go from essentially being relatively normal, typical children to a point where they can't function. And then they often go through a period of appearing to be very uncomfortable and agitated before ultimately dying from the condition. Given some positive results from the early diagnosis and treatment of the siblings of children diagnosed with Crabbe disease, scientists had reason to believe that children who are diagnosed just after birth and given treatments such as stem cell transplantation seem to have some improved symptoms but the treatments do come with risks. New York State implemented the first mandatory screening for Crabbe in 2006, and Missouri has recently begun screening as well. Researchers involved in the diagnosis and treatment of children with Crabbe disease in New York State wrote a paper evaluating the newborn screening program to date in the journal Genetics and Medicine. David Dimick wrote the accompanying commentary. 
First, he says, there is some good news out of the program. I mean, I think one of the, the huge leaps forward in this paper is the fact that they have significantly reduced the number of children that would get a false diagnosis of potentially having Crab-A disease. This is significant. Improved tests mean half as many children falsely screen positive for the disease. But the remaining results of the research are not nearly as positive. Five screened children were detected with Crab-A disease, and nine were found to potentially be at high risk. First, the five who tested positive. Unfortunately, the data from the New York program um, with the five children um, that they diagnosed with early infantile onset Crab-A disease, two of the children died as a result of the, the intervention, the, the stem cell transplant. And in one child, the child continued to progress with disease um, and appeared to be transplanted after the child was symptomatic. One child appears to have an, an improved or an attenuated disease, and one child, the parents declined uh, stem cell transplant and, and followed natural history and died. So the data from New York, which is a very limited number of cases, doesn't seem to suggest that newborn screening for Crab-A disease actually improves the outcomes in the same way we would expect from the, the data put forward looking at um, siblings of previously affected children. One challenge, says Dr. Dimmick, is that the children who are diagnosed because they have affected siblings may be caught earlier than those who go through a typical screening program. The treatment simply may not be as effective if doctors catch the disease weeks after birth rather than prenatally or at birth. And then there are the nine children who seem to be at high risk but haven't developed the disease, Dr. Steiner. Children who are identified as high risk for Crab-A disease but for whom it's unclear that they will indeed go on to have Crab-A disease. So the recommendation is that they be followed by specialists and at the first sign of disease, they're referred to consider stem cell transplantation. That's a big burden on families and on children. These, these, the protocol for following these children involves a number of invasive um, tests. So they may have to undergo uh, spinal taps brain MRIs that require sedation, um, nerve conduction studies that can be uncomfortable and even painful. And uh, even with all of that, there's still a lot of uncertainty. So then you have parents that have a children identified at newborn screening who might have this terrible disease uh, left not knowing what to expect for the future. These children may never develop the disease. This raises the question of whether such a newborn screening for Crab-A disease should be implemented. Dr. Dimmick says, based on the results of the paper, the answer seems to be no. And I think the data presented in this paper does not indicate or suggest that we're improving the outcome of infantile onset Crab-A disease by detecting it by newborn screening. Um, and that's, I think, bitterly disappointing for those of us that care for these families because one would hope that by diagnosing these children earlier and getting them to transplant before they're significantly symptomatic, we would improve their outcomes. I would wish that the answers that the, the, the data suggests would be different. Um, but I think we then have to be very careful not to go too far the other direction and say we, we shouldn't ever in the future screen for crime diseases. But I think what this data suggests is we have a lot more work to do before this should be part of a mandatory screening program. He says implementing Crab-A screening too soon in other states could be harmful. If a screening panel is mandatory, but it's not clear that the results from any given test will be useful for children or may even cause them harm, then parents may opt out of all screenings entirely, even for ones that could provide useful results. 
Dr. Steiner agrees, and he hopes that the results of the paper reach officials in other states considering such screening programs. I mean, I think the article is is very useful, and I applaud the authors for presenting the data as they did. It's a lot of work to write and uh, publish these articles, and the work leading up to the article being published and developing the data, you know, that's a huge amount of work. So again, I applaud the authors. I hope that this will inform other screening programs, and I hope it will enlighten uh, individuals uh, that are m- making these decisions that, you know, these decisions should not be taken lightly and that one should not launch into screening for crabby disease uh, just because it's available and just because somebody thinks it should be done. Genetics and Medicine is the official peer-reviewed journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics and is published by the Nature Publishing Group. I'm Cynthia Graber.